0: Well, let me read to you God's Word from 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 4 through 31, a little bit longer of a passage, uh, but I felt like it was going to be helpful for us to have the whole context here before we jump in. So here are God's Word. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole of the body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole of the body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Um, it's a great pleasure and honor to be with you all today. Um, we have uh, the distinct pleasure of having you as a supporting church and um, What that means is that we can go about our work. And uh, so my work is uh, training seminarians uh, who will go on to be Presbyterian pastors in the Presbyterian church in Malawi. And um, my wife's work is training Christian counselors. She works at the only sexual abuse safe house in all of Malawi. And they uh, care for girls who've been sexually abused and then uh, brought to the police and then the, the family has to make a report and then they're referred to this home. They have 75 beds and a 100 person waiting list. Uh, for girls from ages 16 down to three. Uh, So my wife's work has been largely engaged in supporting the counselors who are there. There's no counseling degrees available in Malawi, but a really wonderful uh, cohort of women who have been doing the work of learning to be counselors on their own, reading books, uh, studying. And my wife's work primarily is caring for them, counseling these women, uh, caring for them as they shoulder these uh, heavy stories, and walking with them uh, through the various pieces. So it's We have a lot of fun doing our work. We love our work. And because of the support of this church and the individuals within it, we are able to keep doing our work without worrying about where the money's coming from. So thank you. And thank you for your many prayers as well. Uh, The Lord often blesses us in ways we didn't expect, uh, so we can only attribute that to your prayers. So thank you. Um, Today, I want us to see that the Lord will build his church, and he loves to do so through diverse peoples, cultures, backgrounds, politics, training, skills, families, and so on and so forth, that the Lord loves a profound diversity of skills, but that he does this particularly through the global church. He does this through the global church, and that each uh, sector of the global church has distinct contributions to give, and that we're impoverished until we receive them. Uh, This is a paradigm shift for missions. Uh, Most of us have received a view of missions that uh, Well, we'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, But this is a paradigm shift. It's not mine alone. I've kind of inherited this and been learning it from other brothers, but I wanted to share it with you. So four things this morning, the problem. Second, the Spirit's desire. Third, the Spirit's aim. And then fourth, the Spirit's logic or logic of honor, what the Spirit is doing with honor in this passage. So first, the problem, the problem. Um, In many ways, Malawi is a success story. So Malawi, if you don't know where it is, I didn't know where it was before we went there, it's okay. Uh, If you know where Madagascar is, the island off the coast of Africa, if you come inland, you hit Mozambique, and Mozambique holds Malawi. It's a long, thin, landlocked country at the bottom of the Rift Valley. Um, So Malawi is the poster child, in many ways, of the success of missions from the late 1800s and through the 1900s. David Livingston, famous missionary, actually did most of his work in Malawi, established a Presbyterian church there uh, with many other Scottish missionaries. He was not the only one, uh, as well as Dutch Reformed missionaries. And now today, that Presbyterian church is the dominant church in Malawi. In fact, there are so many people in that church that you have 2,000 people to one pastor in that church, in fact, what's true in Malawi is not very distinct from the rest of Africa. There are more Christians in Africa than there are people in America. You just think about that the next time you're in traffic, right? There are more Christians in Africa than there are people in America. Stunning, right? And that's really wonderful. However, however if you've ever spent time in a former British colony, you, know, you will know that they're not the worst of the colonies, right? The Belgians earned that title of being inventively cruel, but the Brits uh, have the reputation of being profoundly harsh and demeaning and insulting, uh, exploitative in their relationship to their colonies. Uh, so that has uh, affected Malawi in many ways. And it came with the missionaries. Mission was always mixed with colony and empire in those days. Uh, No less so because of the Dutch Reformed missionaries who came to Enkoma. In fact, uh, the Dutch Reformed missionaries from South Africa who came and set up mission work, they set up mission work in the village where we now live. They built the home where me and my family live, and they built the seminary and the church and everything else. Those Dutch Reformed missionaries are the same people who thought up apartheid. That racist classification of people according to Uh, ethnic background and which segregated them into particular jobs even particular sectors of the country and city to live in we would love to imagine that these missionaries were immune to those things right and in fact they did many wonderful good things they brought the gospel and if you ask any Malawian what they think of the missionaries they will say we're so thankful they brought the gospel and they'll be happy to stop there right? They brought the gospel. They translated the Bible into Chechewa, lo- our local language. What a profound act of cultural preservation, right? They started hospitals, and they built a church, and after they built a church, they also built another separate church for the whites to worship in, right? And I could go on. There's many, many other examples. Now, uh, the Dutch Reformed and South African involvement slowed after Malawi got its independence in '63, 1963. Malawi is about 60 years old at this point as an independent country. But that heritage of racism and colonialism has a long shadow, has a long, long shadow. So one example, uh, before we moved there, we went and visited a number of times and said, hey, you know, we'd love to come and join your team if you'd have us. Do you think we can contribute? Do you think we can offer you anything? We don't want to assume that we have anything to offer. And they said, yes, please come. And um, they were visiting, We were touring me around the classrooms and introducing me to the students and Malawians, (laughs) they love to honor people. It's one of the sweetest parts of their culture. So when they introduced me, this is the most reverend Professor Daniel Robbins. He is here to teach us theology. He's really going to help us. We are finally going to learn, blah, blah, blah. Wow. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that introduction. So kind, not fitting entirely, but thank you. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to come and teach theology, yes, but I'm also excited to see how the Lord will mature you all to come back and speak to the Western church. I'm excited what you all have to teach to us. And they all started laughing, not just the students, but the teachers as well, started laughing, started laughing. They were so steeped in their own position of being lesser, thinking they had nothing to offer, that they could only laugh at the idea of something African being valuable. Now, dominantly, missions has been a one-way enterprise for the last 150 years, uh, largely from the West, places of power and wealth, to uh, Africa, South, South America, and Asia, and in many ways that's been good, right? In Africa, this has looked like uh, providing clean water, medical care, uh, money, orphan care, even theology, and those things are all good, and they were needed for a time, for a time, Um, But things have shifted, and the point is that the African church, along with, by the way, much of the Latin American church and the Asian church, are still in the position of uh, receiving, passively being helped, uh, still in this place of being the one to be saved while the West gets to be the hero, the hero. And my students have internalized this to mean that anything from Africa is categorically second-rate. And so one example uh, of how this works out is that they think that if they embrace more and more Western modes of uh, thinking and acting, then things will necessarily get better. So it'll be 90 degrees (laughs) at 8.30 AM and they show up to class in a three-piece suit. (laughs) I'm like, guys, we don't need to do this. They're like, no, surely we are looking very nice, don't you think? And they love Wayne Grudem who I find particularly boring, okay? Uh, they love Wayne Grudem, they love Burkhoff. and you know, those books have their place, but honestly, those books are boring for me as a kid who grew up in Seattle, right? A Westerner. How much more boring could it be for someone whose questions are never answered? Now, in the West, we've internalized this uh, way of mission primarily as something we do because we're powerful. Missions is an act of power, right? And people say these things to me. Um, we're so glad that we can do missions because the dollar is so strong and missions is so cheap. It's not, by the way. It's like running a small business. It costs a lot. We're, uh, we want to do missions because we can accomplish so much, because we can have such an impact, because we have so much and we feel so bad that the nations don't. Well, What that means for many of our missionaries that I'm friends with is that oftentimes missionaries feel a tremendous burden to have a profound impact. I would say an outsized impact for who they are and what they can accomplish, and it's a tremendous burden. In the best cases, though, we we don't uh, really work with this sort of guilt, right? Um, In the best cases, most missionaries are genuinely motivated to have people come to know God, and that's a beautiful thing, and I would encourage you that most of the missionaries out there I meet are lovely people. But in the worst cases, we, we work from a place of guilt or a sense of superiority. And, and what I want us to see is that this text actually has something to say about that. Uh, verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need. Uh, w- what can sometimes subtly creep into our thinking is that the African church was somehow forgotten when the Spirit was distributing gifts. That it's up to us to come along and bring them the things they need. Um, now, I think most of us are probably sensitive to these things already. You live in Washington State. You've probably had conversations around these topics at some point in your life. So I don't necessarily think I'm you know, bridging new concepts for you here, but I do want us to just dwell on this. What does it mean that this, for this passage to think about mission? What does it mean to think about the global church? And what I want to offer is that the Spirit of God is at work to raise and strengthen and offer the gifts of the African church to the rest of the global body. And that we are impoverished until we receive them. We're impoverished until we receive the gifts of the global church. We in the West need them just as much as they need us. Just as much in one spirit, Paul says, we were all baptized into one body. You know, I think the Lord has much planned for a fully formed, mature African church. In fact, those numbers I just referred to in terms of the size of the African church, those have everything to do with African evangelists getting busy with the work of evangelism after the colonists left. In fact, they are the credit for much of the growth. So, We can say with Paul, if all were a single member, where would the body be? If we're part of the same body, we need them. So that's the first point. That's the problem. And we won't labor on that anymore. But uh, I want to move on to the Spirit's desire. Now, what I want us to see is that the Spirit desires a global church. And therefore, the Spirit desires a diverse church. This passage is most basically about how the Spirit works in a local congregation like Grace PCA, right? The Lord has given different people different giftings, and it's beautiful. You all know members of your body. You think, well, if I need help with this, this is the person to talk to. And if I need help with this, and this is, and here's the things I can offer. And what a beautiful thing God does. What I want us to see is that I think that this has a second application, and that is that that's actually what the Lord is doing with the global church. Now, I'll defend that just in a second here. The first thing that convinces me of that is this mention of tongues. I'm convinced that when the New Testament talks about tongues, just like in Acts chapter two, we're talking about known languages. If you look at all those uh, words for language in the New Testament, it's tongues, it's idiom, and they're all in Acts two. That's generally what I think about. And language is categorically a cross-cultural kind of act. So when Paul talks about tongues here, he's talking about reaching other people who don't speak the same language. But there was also some reference to Jews and Greeks, and you have to wonder if Paul could have anticipated just how many more ethnic bodies there would be in the body of Christ. Jews and Greeks were the dominant groups in the first century, but brothers and sisters, today we have Christians in Singapore, in Iran, in Brazil, in Uruguay, right, in Malawi, even in Washington State, okay? I mean, wild, okay? wild to the ends of the earth but importantly what I want you to see is that the spirit loves this the spirit wants it to be this way look at verse 11 with me Paul says all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills now when, when you read the word will in the New Testament you need to think about desire not like secret unknown wills but desire what the spirit's after okay What he's pursuing. According to uh, 1 Corinthians 2, the Spirit searches our mind. Same book, Paul says the Spirit comes and searches out our minds and our hearts and our lives and also searches out the mind of God and makes us known to each other so that we are known to God and he is known to us. That's the Spirit's ministry. And then here he says that out of that intimate knowledge that the Spirit loves to give particular gifts to people because he knows them so well, so that they might use those gifts to build up the body. What a beautiful image of how God is at work in giving gifts. What I want us to see is that he does this intentionally in a diverse way. (laughs) That's what he wants. That apparently the Spirit is delighted by resplendent, manifold, intimately curated gifts that are so vast And so unendingly diverse that the church can say, we lack no good thing because of the Spirit's work. And what I want us to learn about here is something about God. The Spirit is not monotone. He's not monotone. He loves to bring together all the riches into one body. And can you imagine the opposite? I don't know if any of you like to go to farmer's markets. They're a fun way to waste money. Imagine going to a farmer's market and their first stall is uh, boutique chicken nuggets, right? Farm-raised, gluten-free, whatever, all the things, right? And then the next stall is also farm-raised chicken nuggets, right? And so on and so forth. The third, fourth, fifth stall, the entire market is boutique chicken nuggets. Now, the like five-year-olds among us are pumped, right? Yes, this is my kind of farmer's market, right? But the rest of us are saying, I guess that's it. I guess, okay, I'm kind, I guess we're going home, right? What I want you to see is that the Spirit loves to bring about the diversity of the cuisines, if you will, of the spiritual life of God's people all across the world into one body. That's what he's doing Actively and inviting us to join as well. So third, what's God's aim for this global gifting? Well, mutual life. The Spirit's aim is mutual life. Look at uh, verse 7 with me. In verse 7, it says, Each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Common good. Now, we already mentioned this, the healthy body, a healthy congregation locally works together by honoring and enjoying and Giving gifts and receiving gifts, right? Um, Really relying on each other and enjoying each other's gifts. And so, you know, God's given me gifts of study and preaching and understanding and people seem to enjoy it when I do it. So that's great. And I can offer that as a gift. But the truth is, is that I actually desperately need people who have faith, who can lead me with courage into what the Lord's doing because I get afraid. And I really, really need people who know how to show up in a hospital room where someone is just suffering, and there's no clear diagnosis, and they can just show up there and hold someone's hand and remind me that I can just be with that person in the Lord's presence. I need people to teach me those things. That's the things we offer to each other, right? And of course, Paul's body metaphor is really helpful here. The hand needs the muscles, which needs the bones, which needs the blood, which needs the GI system, and so on and so forth. We could go on and on and on. Every system in the body needs every other system. And so it would be stupid to say that one part of the body is superior than another part of the body, right? That's dumb. That's what Paul's saying. Don't be dumb. Every part of the body is valuable is extremely important we need the other parts of the body or you'll have bones with no blood doesn't work that's all true and good and that's the mutual life what I want us to see is that that mutual life is built up through the distinctives for each part being valuable it doesn't mean that everyone offers the same thing right the eye is distinctly better at seeing than the foot and for good reason right would you really want to see down there no it's bad idea right? There's, the parts of the body do things better, so it doesn't mean we just ignore the differences. Some parts of the body are better at stuff than other parts of the body are, okay? I I always love that administration is put into the list for Paul. (laughs) It's like, you make sure it's in there, you know, that's someone who has some practical church ministry experience. Administration is a gift, amen. But what does this mean for God's aims for the global church, okay? Uh, I think what it means for us is uh, that we are called to true partnership, mutual dependence and generosity. We're called to befriend each other and partner together with the global church. This is verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? Uh, There are particular strengths that Africans have and the Malawian church has that we don't. Um, They know what it is to trust the Lord through seasons of deep poverty and insecurity for food and money and family. Y'all, I want you to know that in the Northwest, we love security. We love it. Now, not just like human love security, we love security, okay? Especially in America, we put all sorts of money and stuff into it, and that's, that's fine, but I want you to know that there are people who can help you break free from that. Okay? The Malawian church is really good at prayer, really good at prayer. In our local uh, village, the church congregation is split up into different parishes, and they have parish prayer every week, five or ten of these different little prayer sites. Each one of those prayer meetings has 40 to 50 people coming to it. Y'all, when I was pastoring at Christ Church Bellingham, we had like eight people at our prayer meeting, and I went once. Once. As a pastor, they they paid me to go, and I still didn't go, right? That's how bad we are at prayer, okay? Uh, Africans also have a very sacramental kind of approach. People love, um, we know that they're uh, more attuned to spiritual warfare, but what I want us to see is that it actually comes out of a sense of the Lord's nearness. That there's not some sort of division from my life over here, and then God, who is occasionally accessed, who occasionally accesses us, No, no, no. We live and move and have our being in him, Paul says. And the Africans know what that feels like and looks like. So that's actually good news for us because we can say to them, I have need of you. Can you please teach me? Now my area is, I work in theology, I'm a a theologian, and I think African theologians have a lot to offer, but not because they're African right? I'm not looking to exalt African theology as a novelty. That's, that's the kind of empty exploitative tokenism that people wear as a badge. Not helpful to them, not helpful to us. What I really want to see, actually, is an investment, a promotion of a trained and mature Malawian theology because God has purchased them with his own blood and invested in them the same spirit that he's invested in me. That is to say, there is no right that I have to want to be trained, to want to think and write and teach that they also don't have. They are heirs of the same gospel, and they ought to have a seat at the same table. So let me just give you an example of what that could look like, I'll tell you about my friend Maxwell. (laughs) He's my colleague and one of my best friends in Malawi, the Reverend Maxwell Chiwoko, um, he's working on his PhD in Hebrew grammar, which um, sounds terrible to me. Um, there's other grammars that are more fun, but hey, I'm thankful for those people. He's working on um, the concept of class and poverty in the Psalms, looking at the word anavim, which can mean afflicted, or oppressed, or poor, or a number of other things, and uh, beautiful, wonderful insights he's bringing. He's also a part of the faculty, him and another brother, who have really reshaped the culture of our school to be one of grace and kindness and camaraderie with students where before it was a place of heavy-handed expectations and uh, harsh, harshness towards them. Um, he's also, I mean, if this, as if it wasn't enough, he's also leading a team to begin the first uh, whole Bible commentary in Chichewa, our local language. Uh, there are no theological resources in Chichewa. full stop. Uh, most of my students struggle to figure out how to speak about theology in Chichewa. They're so accustomed to speaking in English about it. So he's part of a whole team trying to do this, and probably one of what that will mean is also contributing a theological dictionary of Chichewa words, trying to come up with ways about speaking about God. Really exciting stuff. And better than all that, he's become my friend. Right? He's befriended me. And I'm doing well there, teaching well, understanding the institution well, because Maxwell comes into my kitchen and answers all my dumb questions and hangs out with me and we, we kick it together, right? And it's great. It's great. So first, I just want us to recognize that what happens when you have people from very different worlds. Now, Maxwell and I have very similar giftings and skills, but when he reads passages and I read the same passage, we get different things from that passage, and of course, right, I'm a skater kid from Ballard. He's a corn farmer's kid from Kasungu. Like we have very different backgrounds, right? And what a gift that is to receive it from each other. But second, I, I just want us to take that, this all one step further. Uh, Maxwell's a great example, and he's also a good example of people who've invested in, in him over the years. What would it look like if we in the West took it upon ourselves to invest and promote an entire generation of faithful well-trained african pastors theologians and mature christian counselors as well can you imagine what kind of insights they'd be offering us that we just don't even we don't even know to ask the question i actually don't know entirely what they would offer us and that's some of the point so the good news about this is not only do we need them but we get to do it through friendship and that's our final point the spirit follows a logic of honor a logic of honor Uh, True partnership is always driven by honor and fun. I'm going to say that again. Fun doesn't happen enough in church. Honor and fun, okay? Not dominance and fear. Not dominance and fear. And part of what this means is that we need to invest in each other's gifts in order to to really bring gifts. Y'all, I have preached many, many bad sermons before this. Maybe this will be a bad sermon too. We'll find out. (laughs) The point is... um, I have been invested in. People have sat with me. People have let me come along and fail, and they've said, you know what? You have gifts. We're going to give you money. We're going to help you go to seminary. We're going to provide for you. We're going to give you jobs. We're going to give you encouragement. We're going to sit with you, right? Gifts take time and practice and investment, and to my mind, one of the greatest gifts you can give to someone is to invest in their gifts, to honor them in that way, and then after watching them be trained, then come and sit underneath them, right? And receive their gifts back to you. What a a kindness, what a humility. And this is really what Paul's after in verses 22 through 26. I'm just going to read it again to refresh us. On the contrary, this is verse 22, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our Unpresentable parts are treated with greater modest, modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the mem- members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, when Paul speaks about unpresentable parts of the body, he's talking about your private parts, okay? And he means that you take care of them, and it's not a burden to the rest of your body, right? Your hand isn't jealous. Your nose isn't jealous. Your body feels as a body. So when you take care of your whole body. Your whole body rejoices, and there are parts that need more care than others, and that's a good thing. He's not saying that there are parts of our congregation that we want to hide away. Okay, (laughs) you might read that saying, oh, I know who he's talking about. That's not what he means, okay? The analogy is actually one of honor. It's one of honor. The logic here is one of honor, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it. And, And I want us to notice that Paul speaks of honor here rather than in fixing need. The African church does not need us to fix their problems. And they certainly don't need our guilt over our wealth, no, in fact, what they need is for us to honor them and invest in them the same way we honor and invest in each other. Uh, What this means practically is uh, I'm here to try and convince you all uh, that the best thing we can do is to put as much money and time and people as we can into training African theologians and mature Christian counselors. Uh, In my mind, that's the most important task in front of us, but why stop there? why not also do the same thing for Cuba and Russia and Latin America and Asia? I mean, we have a lot of work in front of us. But second, this also means that we get to offer our gifts. Remember, it's mutuality, not one-way mission, not reversal, mutuality. And there's stuff that we're actually really good at in the Northwest PCA. This is one of the places... (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) Our churches in the Northwest are one of the places where I have felt the most uh, encouraged and learned the most about how God's grace is not simply like a release valve for guilt, but it actually empowers and colors and shapes the entire Christian life. That it's the fabric of our sanctification. Now we have a lovely reformed heritage, right? How many wonderful riches there are there? Um, We're also a very thoughtful group about mission. We're engaged in mission, yet want to do it thoughtfully. These are real gifts that we have in the Northwest. We also need to acknowledge that we have a lot more money than the African church, certainly. Now, I'm not so out of touch to forget that there are different classes within Washington, right? Um, But the fact is, is that we do have more money. And there's actually no shame in that the scriptures are really clear there's actually no shame in being a rich person but there is responsibility there's a responsibility to leverage our privileges on behalf of others without guilt and without shame simply out of joy and hope but if we're going to offer our gifts in mutual partnership then we have to do so according to Malawian that's my interest Malawian desires, Malawian agendas, Malawian ownership. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are numerous Americans who come in, Westerners who come into Malawi with a great idea and genuinely oftentimes great ideas, great projects. And they come in with lots of funding and lots of energy and uh, wanna hire lots of staff. And oftentimes they can stay there for two, three, four, five years and they can accomplish a lot. But the moment they leave, you know what happens? One of two things. Either the project continues and becomes a means of siphoning money off, right, becomes corrupt, or the project is just set down and left aside because the American has left. Why? Because it was never a Malawian project in the first place. It was never owned by them. It was never driven by them. It was never uh, led by them. And so the Westerner can feel accomplished and the Malawians are happy to help them feel accomplished and get a job. And they're not crazy to do that. One of the ways that we can avoid this is third, in my judgment, making investments to build relationships. This is actually the goal of missions, is to befriend each other. And this is what the Lord Jesus says to us in Luke 16. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, not if, when, when it fails, you may, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. What an interesting take Jesus has. Ah, use your money. Use it to build friendships. Friendships. And this is part of what we're doing while we're back on furlough, is dreaming and talking with the Presbytery and a few churches in particular about what it would look like to actually have meaningful long-term partnerships and friendships. There's a lot of common cause between the Presbyterians in Malawi and the PCA in the Northwest. Um, we would love to see a meaningful partnership built up where we can not only send, but also receive here in the Northwest. Finally, uh, I don't want to close without spending a little bit of time thinking about who God is in the midst of us. All of these things are true because of the kind of character our God has. Uh, Two things in particular, God is profoundly generous in this passage, right? The whole passage is controlled by him giving gifts, isn't it, right? that he loves to do this, but also a humility. And I want us to see this. This is the whole logic of the gospel. This is how God thinks. He says, "Um, I'm going to share my wealth and more than that, my own self with you. So I can call you my brother and call you my friend and take on your flesh and suffer for your sins and in rising, not simply forgive you. No, 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 that's not enough. That's not enough. I want to give you the profound honor of participating in my ministry. Y'all, we have the profound honor of participating in the salvation of our neighbor. That's wild. And what I want us to remember is that the Lord didn't need us. He could have done all of this without us. But he's so generous and humble that he's been eager to bring us in. He's like the dad who, when it's time to change oil on the car, says, all right, kids, come on, we're changing the oil, knowing full well that kids make everything harder. <laughs> right? I just We just changed the oil in our truck in Malawi, and uh, one of my boys, <laughs> we were ready with the oil can and to catch the old oil, and we loosened that nut, and it just, boom, <laughs> got him right in the face. <laughs> Oh, man, you know, you have kids along, they kick over the oil, they get dirt in the engine, things get messed up, right? That's what kids do. That's what they're good at. But the moment the kid has his hand on the end of a wrench with you, catches the oil, does the job, they come back in and they say, Mom, I helped, right? And the dad says, "They helped. I'm so proud of them. I'm so happy to share my work with them. It's such a joy to have them do my work with me, right? I get to receive their gifts back to me, even if they're crumpled like toddler drawings, like, wow, thank you. What a beautiful thing you've given me. What I want us to see is that the gospel has always been a movement of honor. God honors us well beyond what we deserve, overflowing with kindness and generous gifts. He invests in our training and feeds our families so that they can then go and be invested in and do their work, all for the sake of having the honor of participating in his work and having fun doing it with each other. And then, in his own humility, beyond all that, he receives it all back as if it's a gift to him. Right? Wow, thank you. Thank you. I'm honored by your gifts to me, the Lord says to us. A pleasing aroma, Paul calls our gifts. God's heart towards us is richly, abundantly generous, and he invites us to step into that same generosity, that same partnership, that same friendship toward each other, and to receive the same from each other and the global church. Let me pray. Our Lord, we give you thanks that you uh, are so delighted to teach us, to bring us along. And so we pray now and come to you uh, praying that you would uh, bring these words into our hearts, that you would teach us. Lord, here I am among your students, that you would teach me, that you would bring us to have courage this week in the places we're afraid, uh, to see your humility and, and mimic it, to see your generosity. And we pray, Lord, that you would lead us into a relationship with the global church. We don't entirely know what that means. And so we pray uh, this in faith, that you are our good God who cares. In Jesus' name, amen.